Our scripture this morning comes to us first from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. Hear now the word of the Lord. He came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their own country and in their own house. And he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. And now from chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. After Jesus had left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he went up the mountain where he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he cured them, so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. There is no place like home. Isn't that what Dorothy taught us in The Wizard of Oz? There's no place like home. This is true for many different reasons, some good, some not so good. Home is where everybody knows your name. When you are home, you are somebody. And when you've made a name for yourself, you're a hometown hero. Home can be a wonderful place. But it can also be a, a challenging place, especially if you've been away for a while and then you come back home again. You may not be the same person you were before, but everyone there still thinks you are. Everyone there still thinks they know you. Well, the people of Jesus' hometown certainly thought that they knew him. After he had been baptized in the Jordan River, Jesus had been away for a while, traveling throughout the region of Galilee, preaching and teaching and performing miraculous deeds of power, making quite a name for himself. And then Jesus comes home to Nazareth, where everyone wants to check out the hometown hero and see what the fuss is all about. So they all come to the synagogue to hear him preach. And how does everybody respond? They were astounded, the text tells us, at what he was saying. Well, that certainly sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, the only problem is just after this, the text says that they took offense at him. Clearly, things were not going nearly as well as we may have thought. You know, perhaps a better way of translating astounded might be shocked. They were 
stunned at what Jesus was saying. And they were angry. So what was Jesus saying that got everybody so worked up? Well, it was probably what he wasn't saying that was just as telling. And Jesus wasn't saying all the things that a good Jew was supposed to say. He wasn't denouncing the hated Roman occupiers. He wasn't promoting Israel's political causes. He wasn't proclaiming Israel's coming glory when God granted them victory over their enemies by clobbering all of the Gentiles. And if we look around the Gospels, we can pretty safely assume Jesus was saying things like, God loves Gentiles. He says that Israel isn't quite the golden child they always thought she was, and then it's actually they who need to repent and get right with God. And the people become angry. Who does he think he is, Mr. Big Britches? Didn't he grow up here with us? Isn't that the carpenter's son? Didn't I have him in Sunday school? Didn't we teach him his ABCs and show him how to fish when he didn't know which end of the rod was which? Didn't we teach him the way a good Jew was supposed to think? And so they rejected his message. And they rejected him. They thought they knew Jesus so well that all they could see was the son of the carpenter. They'd been so blinded by their familiarity with Jesus that they could not see the Son of God. They had stuffed Jesus into a little box of expectations and limitations, and therefore they were unable to accept the radical, surprising, universal, challenging message of salvation that he proclaimed. And as a result, the text tells us that while Jesus was in his hometown, he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. You know, throughout much of our own national history, many have sought to see the United States as Jesus' hometown as God's golden child, even sometimes as the new Israel. But God does not love us any more or any less than any other nation or group of people. And the truth is, while the church in America is struggling, some would even say dying, in places like South America, in Africa and Asia, even parts of the Middle East, the gospel is spreading like wildfire and real miracles are taking place. In fact, over the last several decades, decades, the United States has become a great mission field as far more missionaries are being sent into our country than we are sending out. And there are very few visible miracles taking place around here these days. So what happened? Well, I think part of the reason for this is we have a tendency to think that we have a, a monopoly on Jesus, that we're the ones who really know him. This is particularly true in the South. 
After all, we think, but we grew up in church with Jesus. We were baptized as a baby, confirmed as a youth, maybe we even served as an acolyte. We went to Sunday school with Jesus, we went to summer camp with Jesus, we learned all the stories about him, we sang all the songs about him, but we also learned that despite all of our talk about his miraculous deeds of power, if anything was really going to happen in our lives, it was up to us to pull it off. God helps those who help themselves, we quote, quite certain that it must be somewhere in the Bible. It is not. I think our familiarity with Jesus has limited what he can do for us. Like the people of Jesus' hometown, we've had a tendency to, to stuff Jesus into a little box of our expectations and limitations, having predetermined what Jesus wants and what he's capable of doing for us. I think we, we're actually far more interested in telling Jesus who we think he ought to be than discovering who he really is. After all, it's it's far more manageable to have a savior on a leash. It's predictable, controllable. And this compliant Jesus affirms just about everything that we think or do, even as a nation. This Jesus fights for truth, justice, and the American way and wants to clobber all of our enemies. This Jesus supports our social agendas, our political ideologies, even our military ventures. For so often in this country, we have confused and conflated Jesus and Uncle Sam. Faith with patriotism. And if anything could stuff Jesus powerless into a little box wrapped up with a bow, that certainly can. And you know, in each of our own lives, we, we also have a tendency to make our own version of Jesus, who may not look very much like the Jesus we find in the New Testament. We find ingenious ways of justifying our, our, our choices, our lifestyles, and our opinions, and then convincing ourselves of Jesus' approval. After all, we tell ourselves, Jesus just wants us to be happy, and comfortable, and safe. And he'll support whatever we need to do to achieve those goals. Whether it be grasping after more money, or more guns, or more stuff, or more political power, or more rights, whatever it takes. But we've so limited Jesus by our own agendas and expectations that, that he's really just become a, a blown up bigger version of ourselves. Someone far more like the son of the carpenter than the son of God. So is it really all that surprising that we don't experience many deeds of power in our lives? Here's the question. Do we really believe that Jesus is the son of God? The one through whom the heavens and the earth were created. The very word of God made flesh who is calling each one of us to a life of righteousness and selflessness and obedience and humility and faith so that we might receive the life that he was dying to give us. Or... 
Do we just see him as that tall, pleasant, soft-spoken, Caucasian fellow we've all seen in pictures since we were children, who simply smiles and nods at us in approval from a distance, perhaps waving an American flag, but never really gets involved in our lives or challenges our opinions? The truth is, when we think we've got Jesus all figured out, all we really have is an idol of our own making. If our Jesus never exposes our own hypocrisy and self-righteousness, then we've got an idol. If our Jesus always votes exactly the same way that we do, and is on the same side of every issue that we are, then we have an idol. If our Jesus loves America more than all the other nations and wants to clobber all the same people that we do, then we have an idol. If our Jesus is content to be ignored for most of our lives until we need him to swoop in and save the day in an emergency, then we've got an idol. If our Jesus, in our opinion, should give us whatever we ask for, but certainly, certainly shouldn't expect us to do anything drastic like change our lifestyles, or the way we spend our money, or the way we treat other people, or, or, or to surrender our will to his, then we've got an idol. If our Jesus doesn't care if, if we make worship a priority or, or seek to grow in our relationship with him or give back to him out of gratitude a sacrificial portion of what he's given to us, then we have an idol. If our Jesus doesn't really care what we do as long as we're good people, then we have an idol. And the problem with idols is that they are powerless to save us, even when they come wrapped in pretty little boxes, especially then. But the real Jesus, when he was not shackled by the controlling expectations of those around us, did some pretty incredible things. Whereas in, in Jesus' hometown, their familiarity with him prevented them from experiencing the, the, the healing, transformative power of God in their lives. When Jesus went to, to other places in Galilee where he was less familiar, miracles abounded. They didn't try to limit Jesus to what they thought they already knew about him. Instead, they just came and, and, and cast themselves at Jesus' feet with nothing more than a little hope and a little faith. And he cured them, the text tells us. You know, I think it's no coincidence that this incredible scene of healing that we find here in Matthew 15 takes place immediately after Jesus' encounter with the Canaanite woman whose daughter was tormented by a demon, the passage we looked at last Sunday. This woman came and bowed herself at Jesus' feet, tenaciously begging him for mercy despite his initial response. And Jesus was so amazed by this Gentile woman's faith that it blew the lid right off of that little box that the people of Nazareth had stuffed Jesus into. 
And when that lid came off, it was as if the, the miraculous healing power of God just exploded out of there and spread healing to everyone around who came and fell at Jesus' feet. The truth is, miracles do not produce faith. The resurrection is the one sufficient miracle, and if that doesn't do the trick, no other miracle will. Notice how many people witnessed Jesus' miracles with their own eyes and yet did not become his disciples. You know, so often we think if we could, if we could just have one bonafide miracle in our lives, then we'd really believe. But that is not true. It's just one of the ways that we deceive ourselves in order to justify our unbelief and our lack of commitment. Rather, faith enables miracles. Now, that doesn't mean that just because we ask for something in faith that somehow, like a genie, Jesus is bound to grant us whatever we wish. And that's just stuffing him right back into that little box again. And the Son of God will not be so easily contained. Heck, it couldn't even keep him in a sealed tomb. Rather, apart from faith, few miracles will ever occur. But of course, the greatest miracle of all is what takes place inside each one of us. When we respond to Jesus in faith and we become transformed by his love and his grace and his healing power, when those who were once blind become able to see. And I can only imagine how difficult it must be to be physically blind. But according to Scripture, spiritual blindness is a far more devastating affliction. In Galilee, Jesus healed the blindness of those who knew full well that they couldn't see. And yet, even in their blindness, they were able to see Jesus more clearly than the people of his hometown. They thought they knew Jesus so well. So they were blinded by their familiarity with him. And as a result, they remained spiritually blind unable to see or accept who he really was. I wonder, how is our vision here at IPC? How well do we see and know the real Jesus? The one who is Lord of heaven and earth, the one who's present even here and now among us, for those who have eyes to see. And if we're serious about our faith and our calling as a church, then we need to spend more time 
with Jesus and not try to make him into our image, but rather allow his spirit to shape us into his image. And then we've got to be open and responsive to whatever Jesus has in mind for us rather than just continuing to do the same things over and over and over. If we don't expect Jesus to do much around here, then he will certainly grant us the image we have for him. God always allows us to keep whatever image of God we choose to see. And if when we look at Jesus, all we see is the son of the carpenter, then that's all we're going to get, just like the people of Nazareth. And then one day, people will drive past this beautiful church and say, and he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. For Jesus will just keep moving on to a place more receptive to the Son of God. But if we will devote ourselves to this person who's so much more than just the carpenter's son, and if we'll acknowledge that, that we don't know Jesus nearly as well as we think we do, and that our, our expectations and agendas have often limited Jesus to just a, a bobble-headed idol who simply nods affirmatively at all that we think or do. Well, then some incredible things just might start happening in our lives and in this church. Heck, the, the miraculous healing power of God might just explode out of here and spread healing to everyone who comes into this place, even to the community around us. Now, to be sure, God's healing does not always come in the way that we hope or expect it to. But if we offer ourselves in faith and humility to the Son of God and accept Him as the surprising, uncontrollable Savior that He is rather than who we want Him to be, then healing will come in the way that we need it most. As God sends his Holy Spirit into our lives, binding up our broken hearts, cleansing our sin-sick souls, mending our shattered relationships, and curing our spiritual blindness. But this healing, this salvation, only begins when you cast yourself at Jesus' feet and you admit that there's a lot more to Jesus than you think you know. Amen.